Today, we're going to continue looking, and, and we've been talking about the body of Christ, specifically um, the body of Christ being the church, not the building, not the institution, the people. And, and so we're, we've been looking at some different tensions that exist uh, with the church and the world, with the kingdom of God and with the kingdom of this world and how these tensions exist and talking about how do we live in these tensions? How, do we, how can we be fruitful in all of these different tensions? I've been playing around with this bungee strap up here, showing the tension, the tension of the kingdom of God versus the tensions of the world. We're gonna continue that line of thought today, um, but before we do that, I really wanna go back and just review some of the things we've been talking through. Some of you are getting tired of hearing this, I know, but that's a good thing. That means you're, you know it, right? You're hearing it. Um, and so I wanna run through a few of these things and we're gonna throw some slides up. The first one is this, that when we come in here on a Sunday morning um, and, and as the church, we're not doing something randomly. There's a scripture we've looked at several times, Ephesians uh, 2.22, that says this, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is building his church very intentionally. It's not just something that's done haphazardly, just something that's kind of thrown together. God is positioning people in the temple, his, his church, the body, not a temple of brick and mortar, but the body of Christ. And so we're being built very intentionally for a purpose. And we have this purpose. All believers, all churches have this purpose to fill and renew the earth with people reconciled to God through Jesus. Out of that comes the whole earth singing the praises of God, the whole earth glorifying God um, through his people, through um, us living and representing him on earth the way we were originally designed to do that. The, the next thing is we've talked about some goals that have to happen if that purpose is gonna be fulfilled, that we, the church, grow to maturity in Christ. I had a, a friend of mine ask me a question the other day. It was a great question. He said, how many people on staff and how many leaders in the church do you think could give a definition of spiritual maturity? And I started thinking about that. I think they could. I don't know. Uh, I don't think they'd be exactly the same. And so I thought, you know, it'd be a good thing to help people understand what this is more. And so when you think about spiritual maturity, this is what I'm meaning by that. It's when we come to a place that we're able to take responsibility for our relationship with God in which we can read scripture, we can pray, we can do these things where we create environments with God, where we are in his presence. We're able to walk with him on a daily basis um, and grow in our, in our knowledge of God and the knowledge of who we are in Christ, in our role and part in the church, and, and then grow the kingdom. So we're growing in our ability to grow in God, basically. And so we've gotten to that place. Um, another aspect of spiritual maturity is not only can I take responsibility for my relationship with God, but I'm able to lead others and teach others to take responsibility for their relationship with God. And so it's, it's the twofold. I'm able to grow and take responsibility and, and, and kind of grow up in God, but I'm also able to teach others to do that. Don't mistake maturity for perfection. We're not perfect. In fact, that maturity is, is continuing to grow. None of us have arrived. Maturity and perfection are, are not the same but we can grow up in God and get to a place where we can help others grow up in God too. And so that's what we're talking about. The other goal we see up there is moving from the pastoral or dependency model of ministry to 
a, a model of ministry that we see scripturally where every part of the body does its work. And we've talked about these two um, graphics where on the left is what we typically see in church where Jesus is the foundation, but a few people do ministry and, and these functions and programs are there to support the rest of the people. But the way we see it in scripture is this, Jesus is the foundation God calls some people, paid and unpaid, to be a part of developing other people and equipping them so that every part of the body does its work, that we are all ministers. A minister is a servant of Jesus. We're all in ministry together, and every part of the body does its work so that we become the church, the body of Christ, the people of God that God desires for us to be. In order to do this, we've been talking about these foundation cracks. Jesus is perfect. There is no no, nothing lacking in Christ, but sometimes our understanding of Jesus and the gospel can, can have holes in it. And so we talked about first, note that there, sometimes there's no clear call to follow Jesus, so we don't really know what that means. We talked about the second one, that there's no clear call sometimes to fullness in Christ, to growing up in him, knowing who we are in him, um, and, and those types of things. And now we're looking at this third one, that is no clear call to Jesus's people. When we come to Christ, we're not just um, baptized into Jesus. We're also baptized into the church, God's people. We come to belong to God's people. The last one, and we'll start looking at this in a couple of weeks, is no clear call to Jesus's mission. And so I want you to be aware of that. Today, as I said, we're going to continue in this third foundation crack, um, a clear call to Jesus's people. And specifically looking at the church and, and one of the major functions of the church. We could spend every Sunday from now until Jesus returns talking about the tensions in the church. And the reason we could do that is because the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, they're, they're moving opposite directions. And, and so there, there's so many tensions. Everything that exists in the kingdom of God is in tension with the things that exist in the world. God is moving in a different direction. The kingdom is moving in a different direction from the standpoint of um, they don't really mesh. They're in two opposite directions from each other. And so we could talk about this, but I want to just take, and we've done the last couple of weeks, and I want to continue today talking about some of the ones that I think are essential for us to recognize and know how to exist in. Um, and so we've talked the last few weeks. We've started in Matthew 5. I'm not going to go back there and read it again today, but Matthew 5, beginning verse 12, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving them some directions on how to live in the kingdom. This is what kingdom living looks like. And he tells them, beginning in 12, two analogies. He said, you're the salt of the earth. He says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Then he tells them, you're the light of the world. What's he telling them? He's saying, look, if you live in the kingdom and this is the way of life you live, then you're gonna look very different. And he's telling them, don't lose your distinction. Don't get pulled into the world and lose your distinction. Live as God's people, you'll always be distinct. As long as you exist in this world, there's gonna be a pull back towards the world. But understand this. You're distinct. You were created or recreated to be distinct. Don't give in. Remain salt. Remain light. Stay distinct in the world so that people can see you and understand the difference so that people who are in darkness can see the light and come and draw close to God. And so we've looked at those things. Um, I want us to pray. And then I, I really want us 
to get into um, a tension that exists within ourselves today. It exists within ourselves, but it is crucial that it's resolved for the whole church, for the body of Christ. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth, God. I pray today, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what you say to us. God, I pray that today we would have eyes to see more clearly who you are and what you've called us to. I pray today that we would taste, we would taste maybe someone for the first time, but many of us taste again your goodness, God. I pray today that by faith we would take hold of the promises you've given us of salvation, that we would take hold of the promises that you're faithful to, God. I pray today that we would breathe you in, God, breathing in your word, and that when we leave here, we'd be able to breathe out your kingdom. We love you, God. I pray that this time, Lord, would be a time in which we draw closer to you, and God, that we are equipped and prepared to live consistently and consciously aware of your presence. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are like me and you've ever had a failed diet? A failed diet. Anybody ever had a failed diet? Yeah, some of y'all are lying. Some of you just don't want to raise your hand and not paying attention. But if you're like me, you've had many failed diets, right? And, and I've had many failed diets. If you added up all the weight I have lost and added back, it would probably be like the cumulative weight of a third grade classroom or something, you know? I mean, just tons of it. I just here and here and here and here. And, and here's the thing. We started out with good intentions, don't we? Like something provokes us. Like we, we, we go and we start getting dressed in the morning and the 34s don't fit like they used to, or the 36s, or the 38s, or we try to get to that belt loop we usually go to, and we realize that it's not working, or we force it, and then we can't breathe. Or if you look at your belt, here's a telltale sign, especially guys, if you look at your belt and the loop, the, the hole that the, the little thing goes in, right, the little um, buckle goes into, if it is oblong and not round, that means you're pulling way too hard on that leather belt, right? And so we, we, we may have something like that happen. And so we end up coming to this decision, I've got to do something. And so we start out with these really good intentions and we say, I'm going to eat better and I'm going to exercise. And you start out good, don't you? And we start out good and we're like, I'm not going to eat bad. And then you walk in somewhere, or you go in someone's house and you're like, I smell brownies. And then you see the brownies. And, and I don't know if you've ever done, I've noticed this myself sometimes when I'm really hungry, if I see something that's good and, and, and I smell something that's good, you know that whole Pablo's dog thing where you just start drooling? I start doing that. Like I can feel it in my mouth. I'm like, I gotta eat something. 
And it starts happening. And so I'm good until I see it or smell it. I've tasted it. I know it's good. All of these things. And so I start out with really good intentions. My goal is I want to eat healthy. I want to take care of my body. But then I get to this point over here when when I see it, I I smell it. I've tasted it before. I just really want to have it. I'm like, I'll just be fat. (laughs) Oh, heck with it, right? I'll just be fat, I'm just gonna eat it. And so we, we kind of falter in that. And so that's, that's an example of one of those tensions in ourselves, isn't it? So I, I want to, to eat good, I wanna be healthy, I wanna lose weight, but this is really good. And it's just pulling at me. I wanna do this, but I really want this. I'd like to live this way, but I really, I want the brownie or I want the steak or I want the baked potato, not just a baked potato. I want it with cheese and sour cream and chives and bacon. Who's mouth watering now, right? Yeah, and so we, we do that, like we want it to be right, but then oh, we get pulled in this direction. And it's the same way in life with God. And I want you to see this. My voice is shot, y'all. I'm sorry, I lost it Friday night at the football game. Um, if you go to church here and you were at the football game or you've ever seen me at a football game, I repent and apologize. Um, but anyway, it, it, let's look at Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter five. I want you to see this because Paul gives us a really good understanding of what's happening, not just when it comes to brownies and diets, but what's happening in our lives. Listen, when I really want to live this life for God, but I keep getting pulled back over here. Anybody ever had that happen? We've we've tried to make some good, y'all don't, nobody raised their hand on that one, right? There's one or two people like this. And then the person next to them like this. We don't want to admit it, but like I set out to do good things, I do this. I'm going to be better. But then over here, I'm like, man, I'm back to the same place or feel like I'm going backwards many times. Well, listen to this. This is the tension that we feel inside ourselves. I want to begin in verse 13 of chapter 5 in Galatians and I want to read this, and it touches back to what we talked about last, last week in autonomy and freedom, this desire to be independent. Uh, but God tells us we're not free to do what we want to do. We're free to do what we were created to do. Okay, so he's going to touch on this. Paul, writing Galatians 5.13, he says this. He's writing to the church in Galatia. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What happens when I wanna eat good, but I'm in the, see the brownie, I'm indulging the flesh, right? Uh, This is kind of the line of thinking, but it goes way deeper than that. Rather serve one another humbly in love. So don't indulge the flesh. Listen to this, 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 these two opposite things, these two different options. You can indulge the flesh, you can serve one another in love. That's important to see, okay? I can indulge the flesh, I can serve others in love. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's saying, walk by the spirit and you won't indulge the flesh. Walk by the spirit and you can live in Love, you can humbly love others, all right? So it's that simple. So here's the takeaway today. Don't indulge the flesh, walk in the spirit. Let's go home and do that, right? 
All right, see ya. But it's not that easy, right? I mean, we can say it. We can talk about it. We can even make up my mind. I'm going to do it. I'm not indulging the flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this anger to bed. I'm going to put this lust to bed. I'm not, not a good example. But I'm going to get rid of this lust, right? I, I'm going to, I don't know why I say things like that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rid of it. I'm not gonna do this anymore. The lust, the anger, the porn, the, the, all of these things that are struggles in my life. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna live for God. I'm gonna love others. I'm gonna love my wife and I'm gonna love my children. I'm gonna serve them. I'm gonna serve the others around. I'm not gonna get mad at people who ride in the left-hand lane and won't get over when they're slower. And I, I'm not gonna get mad. I'm not gonna throw things anymore. Not gonna call them idiots. Some of y'all do that. <laughs> and so, anyway, I'm not gonna do it, but how hard is it not to do that? How hard is it to live this life we say we're determined to live? But it's just simple. Paul said, just walk in the spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But listen to this, here's the tension. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And so he's saying, listen, here's the tension you feel as a Christian. You have the spirit of God within you and the spirit of God is saying, live for God. Come this way, live for God. But you have this flesh. When, when the Bible talks about flesh um, in the New Testament, it's this Greek word called sarx. It's actually pronounced a little different. It's got an R. It's supposed to roll the R, but I can't roll my R's. So we're just gonna call it sarx. You don't know the difference either anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And so we're just gonna call it sarx. And, and what it means is it's this, this fleshly nature, the human nature, it's the physical body. It's, it's the sensual desires is what it's talking about. And so when he's talking about the flesh and he's telling us the flesh is, desires what's contrary to the spirit, he's telling us your flesh is going to pull you towards what's sensual in the world. It's going to pull you towards the brownie. It's going to pull you towards the lust. It's going to pull you towards the anger. It's going to pull you towards the greed. It's going to pull you towards the insecurity. It's going to pull you towards the adultery. All of those things, your flesh is going to pull you. He says, but the spirit is pulling the other way. And he says, the key to this is walk in the spirit. The key is to walk in the spirit. But how do we do that? He goes on and tells us what the acts of the flesh look like. They're all sensual in nature. When I talk about sensual, I want you to hear this definition of sensual. It's relating to or involving gratification of the senses. So remember that, it's gonna be important, relating to or involving gratification of the senses. And then he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I got convicted by that the other day. I was thinking about the fruits of the Spirit. I got to gentleness. I'm like, I could be a lot more gentle. I thought about patience. I'm like, I should have a lot more patience. Kindness. Just all of these things, self-control. I'm like, my gosh, I got convicted by it myself. I'm like, I should, I should be producing a lot more of this by now. 
but how do we do this? And here's the tension I want to talk about today specifically. Paul tells us elsewhere in Galatians that the only thing that really matters is faith working itself out in love. We saw in the scripture we read in Galatians, Paul basically says this, you can indulge the flesh, you can indulge what's sensual, or you can humbly love others and fulfill the two commandments that Jesus gave us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But he's saying, you've got these two options and he tells us these two options are in conflict. They're, they're, they, they work against each other. They don't mesh. And I want you to see this. The resolution of this tension is huge. It happens within us but it affects everyone around us. Until we come to a place where we are consistently living, not self-serving lives, but other serving others, the church can't become what it was designed to become. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, he says something like this. He says, if you have any um, encouragement from being with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, he goes on and tells them, he says, make my joy complete by being one, by being like-minded. In other words, being united. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but he says, but humbly, humbly consider others better than yourself. So he's telling us, look, this is how unity happens. This is how the body becomes the body. And church, listen to this. If we, we the, the, the body, the believers, the followers of Jesus, if we are going to experience the fullness of Jesus, all that God has for us, the believers, it will not happen if we are not walking in love. If we, the church, the believers, are going to express the fullness of Jesus to the world around us, it will not happen if we're not walking in love. If we are living lives that are consistently trying to fulfill my sensual desires, to live for myself, then what's gonna happen is I cannot live in this loving relationship with other people, with God, and with the people even outside in this culture. We have a very shallow understanding of love in, in, in our American culture. Cult, this love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not erotic. It's deeper than that. It's a choice. It's I am gonna serve others. I'm gonna live for others. I'm not gonna be self-serving. The difference is like this, and think about that Philippians 2 passage. In fact, you can just flip over there. I'll read this line to you. Go, if you're in Galatians, go just through Ephesians. You'll come to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, when you think about this, I'll give you a little example. I'm not going to demonstrate it, but, but just an analogy. To me, what it looks like to live selfishly and what it looks like to live in God's love is, is, and, and loving God and loving others is the difference in a push-up and the bench press, okay? All right, makes sense. Obviously not, but, but listen, think about it like this. When you do a push-up, what do you do? You get, you get down on the floor and, and you... You lower your body weight, but you push up. You push yourself up, right? 
you push yourself up off the floor. When you do a bench press, what do you do? You lay down on a bench, the weight's above you, and you push the weight up. You push the weight up. When we live selfishly, our life is lived, and we may not realize this, but, and it may be subconscious, but what we do is we look to other people to push ourselves up, but it's at their expense. I push down on them so I can elevate myself. And so when I'm sitting there watching TV, eating Fritos, and my wife is running around doing everything in the house, what am I doing? And I could go on and on with examples I struggle with, but you think about your own, right? In fact, and I'll say this, the one person in my life that demonstrates the bench press lifting others up above themselves to, to elevate them and to serve them. The one person that demonstrates that the most, she doesn't hear this enough, is my wife. She's over there. She's embarrassed. But she serves us selflessly. And I see that in her. But it's the difference in... Pushing up to try to elevate yourself. It's, it's, it's getting under the weight and saying, I'm going to elevate others. But see, here's the problem. We can't do that unless we can humbly elevate others above ourselves. Unless we humbly value others. And here's the thing. You can't value someone higher than yourself until you realize your value is in Christ and not your accomplishments. Does that make sense? If I'm constantly fighting for value and worth, there is no way I can lift someone else above me. I'm gonna constantly be pushing myself up so that I can look around and go, I see value. That's why we have to fill in the second crack, the fullness in Christ. So think about that, that's the difference. So if I'm gonna live this life and we're gonna be the church that God wants us to be, somehow I have to come to this realization, this conclusion, a renewing of the mind, a security in Christ that allows me to push others ahead of myself. I want you to succeed. I'm gonna celebrate your successes. I wanna see this happen to you. I'm gonna look out for your needs. I'm actually gonna think about somebody else. And that's a challenge because it's easy, y'all, to live in this sensual nature. Listen, what are the senses? I, and I'm just gonna talk about five. I know there are now, there's like, if you Google senses, cause I did it. If you Google senses, there's like, some people say five, some say six, some say seven. I don't know, it just goes on and on, but I'm gonna go way back to when I was in school and talk about five, all right? Hearing, seeing, touching, tasting, smelling, all right? And, and think about this. If I don't have any senses, is it hard to resist the brownie? No. If I can't see it, smell it, touch it, taste it, it's not hard. But what my senses do is because, listen, 
Because they do not function the way they were originally designed to function. With the fall and with sin, my entire being is distorted. Instead of my senses now existing to enjoy God, to enjoy him and his creation, and to enjoy other people in the relationship he intended, my senses are now distorted so that they don't lead me closer to God, they lead me away from God. This sensual stuff that just pulls me away from him. And so what we need to see is those senses do not aid us in drawing close to God in our sinful state, in our flesh. And this is why, guys, I think it's so important that we look at John chapter 3. You remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus? If you haven't ever read this, go read John chapter 3. And, and Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, but how can a man be born again when he's grown? We can't enter into our mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus says, how is it, Nicodemus, that you're Israel's teacher, but you don't understand these spiritual things? Think about that. What's Jesus saying? When we're born again, we're not born again physically. The flesh remains, right? The, the, the nature on the outside remains. But what the Bible does tell us is when we come to faith, the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart on the inside and the Spirit indwells us on the inside. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you need to just be born again and start over. No, what he's saying is, Nicodemus, there's something dead on the inside of you and if it's not awakened and brought to life by the Holy Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. So this is what I see in scripture that's really cool. My five physical sarks senses have a tendency to wanna lead me away from God. But when I started looking at scripture, I saw how many scriptures point us to the fact that those senses are redeemed in Christ. They're not redeemed from the standpoint that these fleshly ones don't exist, but they're born again. They're new from a spiritual standpoint. I want you to think about this. Listen, and this is where we're going to bring it back in about 12. No, let's, let's, don't be, let's don't lie. Let's say about 15, 20 minutes. I just lost a bunch of you now because you're like, we're going to be in the back of the line at Moe's. <laughs> but anyway, but listen, let's just lean in. It'll be okay. We're all going to eat. It'll be all right, but lean in and listen to this. So when I'm thinking about this, the, 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 the practical aspect of this I wanna to get to in a second is, is, is there, but I want you to see this, that this new life begins and it ends. It's all a miracle that happens, but how it works itself out in our life is very practical, and we're gonna to get to that, but just listen to this. Listen to how it begins with a miracle. Romans chapter 10 tells us this, if you want to flip to the left, go to Romans chapter 10. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, for it is, in verse 16, I'm sorry, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from what? Hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So faith comes 
from hearing the good news. Faith comes from hearing the message of Christ. And, and so we see this, that faith brings the new birth, but faith comes from hearing. Jesus, when he would teach, he would say, let those who have ears, let them hear. In, in the book of Revelation, he, he's speaking to the churches. He says, let those who have, hear, have ears hear what the Spirit says. Now, everybody pretty much probably that Jesus talked to on earth when he's telling them the good news and the good news is standing in front of them, most of them had ears. A large majority could hear. And so he's not telling us you need physical ears to hear the message. He's saying you need spiritual ears. You need to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying. You need to be able to hear when the gospel is preached that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He went to the cross, died a death we should have died, taking the wrath of God for our sin, went into a tomb after he died, but three days later was raised from the dead. Now he's ascended to heaven, sent back the Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us new life in him. He's saying you've got to be able to hear that with spiritual ears. You can't just hear it, you gotta hear it. And when we hear it, the Bible says we're awakened. The Spirit comes in and gives us life. And so we hear, spiritual hearing, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, redeemed hearing. Now flip way to the right and go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. What about seeing? How is that redeemed? Hebrews 11 says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us, he's about to list out in this chapter what they call the hall of faith, people who acted in great faith in pursuing God. But here's the thing about it. He says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But if you look at this, He's saying they operated in faith. They couldn't see it, but they operated in it. Because see, what happened is they had spiritual eyes to see something that wasn't physical. It's why Abraham left his homeland, going to a land he wasn't even sure about that he'd never been to. He uproots his family and all his belongings and takes off. It's why Noah built an ark when he had never seen rain. He saw, he heard with something that wasn't physical. Go to 2 Corinthians now. Go back to the left. We're doing some spiritual exercise here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16, Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So if we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says that we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. How do you do that? That's like when somebody's just staring off into space. They're not really looking at anything, but they're staring. How do we fix our eyes on something unseen? It's not with physical eyes, it's with spiritual eyes. I have seen something greater. 
It's why Paul can, can be sitting there going, outwardly we are dying. Outwardly we are wasting away. But inwardly there's something that's being renewed day by day. And the more this outside part dies, the bigger the inside part comes. And I'm more excited today than when I was when my flesh was operating in good order. It's why Paul could be shipwrecked, snake bit, beaten, prisoned, and he can still write these letters and say, my spirit is being renewed day by day. He wasn't looking just at the physical. He had spiritual eyes to see what was ahead, to see a greater reality. How about tasting? I'm not gonna go and read it because of time, but 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, he tells us to get rid of sin and, and he says, crave pure spiritual milk, uh, meaning crave the word, crave worship, all these things that'll help you grow up. And he says, now that you've what? Tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you've tasted his presence, grow up in it. Taste it and see. We know the scripture tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a redeemed sense of taste. How do I leave all of this sensual stuff that draws me away from God? How can I possibly say no to that? It's because I've tasted something better over here. That's why if we ask people to live for God who've never tasted the goodness of God, it doesn't make sense. But we taste the Lord is good. We taste and we see and we hear about touch. Okay, well, preacher, you can't touch, can't touch him. He ain't here. Yeah, you're right. But listen to this. Y'all remember doubting Thomas? He, he says this at the end of the Gospel of John after Jesus is resurrected. It says, um, Thomas says this. He said he, Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, and now he comes and he's, uh, he's, he hasn't appeared to Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And so Thomas says this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands, hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then he, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So listen, it's like Jesus is saying this, Thomas, you have physically, you've reached out, man, and you, you touched the nail scars. You touched this, this wound in my side, but there's gonna be others who, who reach out and they're gonna touch me. They're gonna take hold of promises, not with physical hands, but with hands of faith. They're gonna grab hold of salvation. They're gonna grab hold of who I am. They're gonna grab hold of all the promises I've given and they're gonna hold on, not because because of what they see, not because they can physically touch it, but they're gonna come and they're gonna put their fingers in the scarred hands. They're gonna put their fingers in the side and not in a physical sense, but they're gonna grab hold by faith of who I am and what I've done and what I've promised. And they're gonna live not by sight, but they're gonna live by faith in the promises of God. And so this is what we're called to. We grab hold. That's what faith does. Faith grabs hold of the promises of God. Faith grabs hold of salvation. And the Bible says that as we come to faith, we grab hold of Jesus. Paul said, hey, I grab hold of him. I pursue him. And because of, and to take hold of what 
he's taking hold of me for. We take hold of him, but he takes hold of us. The last one, the smell, smell. Second Corinthians chapter two, and I'm just gonna summarize this. Paul talks about an aroma and, and that, that Christians give off, that, that we believers give off to others. When you look at the Hebrew word for spirit or breath or wind, it's ruach. When you look at the Greek word for spirit, breath, wind, it's pneuma. The point of that being that when we, we've talked about this with the DIY thing, that we breathe God in and then we breathe God out. We breathe God in and we breathe God out. And it's God working in us and God working through us. And what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, he says that when we're doing that, when we're walking in these spiritual senses, these spiritual senses are alive and we're walking in this. He says we become an aroma to the world, to those who are, 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 are being saved. It's, a, it's a, a aroma of life, a fragrance of life. To those who are perishing, it's an aroma of death. But what he says is we bring a very distinct aroma of fragrance into the world. It's the fruit, it's like smelling the fruit of the spirit. People recognize a difference. We, we, we recognize that amongst each other. Others recognize that amongst us. Practically, though, how do we live this out? How, listen, how do I live pushing others up and not pushing up on others? How do I consistently do that? The best way I know to describe it is we create environments to bring those senses to life. We create environments to rehearse the gospel, to experience again and again and again what the Spirit has done and what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit will do. It's like creating greenhouses in our life. And it doesn't have to happen in here. It doesn't have to happen in a small group. Yesterday we were hunting, but as we hunted, I, I just tried to be conscious of God in creation, just praying for today, thanking God for all he's done. And when we come in here to worship, I don't always walk in and feel like lifting my hands and praising God. And a lot of times I'll come in and the first thing I do is I begin to set my mind on who God is, on, what, on who I am apart from Christ, on what God has done for me in Christ and on who I become because of Christ. And I begin to set my mind on that. And it's like people ask me, like, I wish I, or say, I wish I was as passionate as you are about God. But see, I'm not like this when I'm just walking through Walmart. Why do I get passionate up here? Because I'm rehearsing this. I'm going back, I'm seeing it. And I can't see it without getting excited about it. Every time I open the Bible and I begin to preach his word, I'm seeing it. I have opportunity to deliver it. I know for some people, this may be the last time you get to hear it. And I want you to hear it. I want you to get it. But we rehearse it. We create environments where, where we rehearse it. I've told you a hundred times in the last year. When you read scripture, when you come to worship, think about who God is. Think about who we are apart from him as sinners. Think about what God's done in Jesus to bring us to himself. And think about now who you are in Christ, the righteousness of God. 
And I want to make that even more simple because I want you to carry this with you, not just in here or in your quiet time. Carry it with you throughout your day. And I'm going to put this in your head, and I hope it's like one of those jingles during a commercial that just gets stuck. But I want you to think about it like this. It's good, bad, good, good. Good, bad, good, good. Good, bad, good, good. Good, bad, good, good. Throughout my day, something comes up. I, I start to lose it, I, or I did lose it. Good, bad, good, good. Who is God? Who am I apart from Christ? What's God done? Who am I now? Thank you, God. And I'm just gonna rehearse that over and over. I sit down to read my Bible and I begin to rehearse it. I'm riding down the road in my truck. I begin to rehearse it. I begin to go through it. I begin to talk about it and think about it. I go to community, um, whether it's on Sunday or in a small group and people are reminding me of it. Why? Because when I get in the world, I have a tendency to get pulled to the sensual, but I need to be reminded, rehearse it. Good, bad, good, 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 bad, good, good. Thank you, God. And I just, I live out of that. And here's the thing that happens. The more I am feeding this spiritual man, this new creation, the more alive those, those spiritual senses become, the more I'm hearing, seeing, tasting the goodness of God, touching Jesus, grabbing hold by faith. And by, the more I'm, I'm, I'm breathing him in and breathing him out, the less power this fleshly side has. How can I want this that leads to death when I have something so good that leads to life? But if I'm not reminding myself of it, but you know, sometimes we live off of an old taste. And an old taste typically doesn't taste as good as it first did. Shrimp sauce, that's all I'm gonna say. Real good going down, wake up the next morning and you're like, what happened? You can brush your teeth or not, it's gonna be there. We need to keep tasting. We need to keep seeing, keep hearing, creating environments constantly, consistently. I think this is what Paul means when he's talking about praying consistently. I don't think it's that he's just saying words all the time. I think it's he's conscious of God. There's a communion with God. He's constantly rehearsing the gospel. In the prison, I rehearse the gospel. In good times, I rehearse the gospel. And in the shipwreck, I rehearse the gospel. And I see it consistently. And these rhythms get created. It's like ballroom dancing. You begin to move with God and you begin to think with God and things begin to grow inside of you that used to not be there. One of the greatest mistakes, and I'm gonna shut up, the greatest mistakes, one of them, that the church has made is we think that if we can point people to their sin, make them feel bad about sin, then they'll overcome their sin. That is absolutely wrong. And this is where I want you to see this. Colossians chapter two. You don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, he says this. Since you died, this is verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He's talking about these ceremonial type things. He said, these rules, which have to do with such with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining what? Sensual indulgence. In other words, Paul said, you can't do it. Unless what's been brought to life 
by faith grows in me, this will still rule me. Until I feed this, until I create environments to rehearse this, until this becomes what my mind is focused on, until this becomes the greater reality in my life, this will have a tendency to rule my life. I may have really good intentions, but I'll lack the power to live it out. I create environments, prayer and worship and Bible reading, but also I rehearse the goodness of God and what he's done. It's a miracle. God works through his spirit, through a miracle to bring us to life and sustain us and carry us through this life. But how we grow in it is very practical. I create environments to hear and see and taste and touch and breathe in, breathe out, smell the presence of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, I pray your spirit speaks much louder than me. God, I pray we would be mindful of you, that we would just remember, Lord, the good, our bad, your good, and now who we've become. That worship would erupt from that, not just here singing songs, but in the life we lead. God, I, I pray for that for myself. That I wouldn't look to others to push myself up. But God, I'd look to elevate others higher than myself. There'd be, there'd be a greater harvest, a greater fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, your character and nature in me and in us, that we would be able to walk in love fully experiencing and expressing Jesus to those around us. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Christ's name, amen.